Did you know that you don't have to pay taxes? You can move to another country and pay zero taxes legally. You might have seen my interview with Wealthy Expat who does exactly this for you. They've helped over 500 crypto investors and entrepreneurs like Iman Gadji and Hamza lower their taxes down to 0% legally. And you could do it too in as little as just two weeks. Wealthy Expat will hold your hands and help you throughout the entire process, setting you up in a tax-free country like the UAE with the help of tax experts, lawyers, and accountants. So if you're interested in paying 0% taxes, then just book a free call with Wealthy Expat using the link in the description below. Hello and welcome back to the Leia Heilpan Show. Joining me today, we have entrepreneur, author, content creator, and founder of Valuetainment, Patrick Bet David. Welcome to the show. It's so good to speak with you. How are you today? I'm doing great. It's, a, it's good to be on with you. I'm I've heard good things about you through this guy named Adam. Oh, you have? You know have? this Adam guy? Yep, yep, yeah. I know him. That's, that's good to hear. Yes. Well, I love what you guys are doing at Valuetainment. Um, you offer so, um, like a diverse range of different topics and a lot of value. So I can't wait to get through everything today. So the first thing which I want to kick this off with is you said something really fascinating online. Um, I thought it was really interesting. You said that since you were 10 years old, you've always been an entrepreneur. So what does that mean? What does that look like? What are yeah. you doing at 10 that makes you an entrepreneur? So, so I'm at a refugee camp. We had just left Iran. We're living in Germany. I don't speak German. Uh, there's this uh, family at the refugee camp we're in, the Staff family. Jan and Katarina Staff are the siblings. I liked uh, his sister a lot, Katarina. Mm -hmm. And the brother and I were friends. He was two years older than me. And he was obsessed with the new Super Mario Brothers that was coming out. Okay. So I said, listen, if I get the Super Mario Brothers video game, I'll be the only one in the refugee camp that has it. He'll play with the video game. I'll have time with his sister. This was kind of a, <laughs> the strategy. Anyways, my mom doesn't have money. My dad doesn't have money. I go to the local swimming pool. And this pool in Erlangen, Germany, beautiful, four or five pools, massive. The owner always struggled with beer bottles everywhere because Germans are experts in drinking beer. So I said, I'm going to clean this place up for you. If I bring each beer bottle in, what will you give me? He said, five fennec. Great. So I did the math. The new Super Mario Brothers had just come out. This is 89. And it's 249 marks. 249. This is 1990, I think, 89. So I said, 5,000 beer bottles at five fennec is 249 marks. Her and uh, Katarina, I got to work 30 days later. I'm at 249, 250 marks. We went and bought the Super Mario Brothers from Kaufauf, uh, which is like our... Uh, Walmart, and then took it to the refugee camp. Jan fell in love with the video game. His sister and I were together all the time. And then from that moment, I realized anytime you want to make money, you can figure out a creative way to make money. And I never stopped making money since 10. It sounds like what really pushed you was the fact that neither of your parents had money. So I want to talk a little bit about your background. Um, you moved from Iran to America because of the Iranian revolution. Um, and I want to understand what it was like growing up in America as an immigrant. And I ask this because a lot of people use being an immigrant as an excuse for not achieving much in life. But obviously, you've had tremendous success. So how has being an immigrant helped you become more successful and maybe aided in your entrepreneurship? So, you know, first of all, uh, it, there's benefits to hard life, right? You got a very, I got four kids right now, and I try to explain to these guys, you're not living a normal life. And mm -hmm. I have to figure out a way to make their lives a little bit harder, and it's not easy to do. So I'm not one that buys them gifts. So if you ask my ki kids, does your daddy buy you gifts all the time? They'll tell you, no, my dad's not big on buying gifts. 
But experiences, spending time challenging them, pushing them, disciplining them, it's a completely different story. So being an immigrant in U.S. at 12, 13 years old, I can't pronounce the word Wednesday is Wednesday. Mm -hmm. I would always say the D. I can't pronounce the word island because at that time the big show was Gilligan's Island. Okay. So I would say Island. I would ask the teacher, why is there an S here? We don't need an S. Just put I-L-A-N-D. Yeah. It's island, but, you know, they decided to put the S there. Uh, it wasn't easy. You know, it was, it was tough. You had to learn how to get along with everybody. But at the same time, if you don't know any better, this is all you know. That's the life you're, you know, uh, 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 having to deal with. It's not like you have a choice to do anything else. But then later on when I joined the Army, one of the best things when I joined the Army was I was the only Armenian Assyrian from Iran in the Army with people that are white, black, Hispanic, Asian from Mississippi, South Dakota, New York, Chicago, Miami, Texas, and I'm from L.A. It was a fast track on how to win friends and influence people because they're judging you automatically. Where are you from? I'm from Iran. Why are you here? I'm never forget. One of my sergeants asked me a question. He says, so where are you from? I said, I'm from Iran. He says, uh, why are you in the U.S. Army? I said, can I trust you? He said, of course. I said, you know, just between you and I, I'm a spy. <laughs> I'm trying to take all your training back to Iran. And for a minute, he felt, I said, of course, I'm not a spy. I'm here because I'm in the Army. But yeah. you have to learn how to make friends. You have to learn how to break the ice. You have to learn how to build relationships. You did not have a choice. So I think it probably forced me to have to learn how to get along with different types of people. And obviously, that's helped me out in, in business. But there's something about immigrant mentality, right, that pushes people to strive more than people who are from that country. There's no question about it. You know, there is no question about it because... This is a dream. Like, for me, I'm playing a game. Like, this is not real to me. Uh, I'm in the greatest country in the world where I, have the, where I have the opportunity to use my talents and relationships and contacts to see if I can compete in a marketplace. And I'm willing to work certain hours where my peers are not. We were talking about earlier your relationship with your brother and how, what that dynamic looks like, you know, and most of America nowadays, we're going in the era of the four-hour work week. What can I do to only work four days a week? You know, even the pandemic, we learned that a lot of bosses were saying, well, you know, the way we do it is you can work from home for the rest of your life. Matter of fact, that's what Twitter said. Mm -hmm. Twitter was the first company to announce that you can work from home the rest of your life, and they announced this a year and a half ago. You can Google this and you'll see it. And then now a guy named Elon, which I don't know if you've heard of this guy, Elon Musk. He just, it rings a bell. Yeah, you've heard yeah, of this guy. He's got a few hundred billion dollars. <laughs> he buys Twitter, and you're definitely not going to be working from home, working for Elon. But also at the same time, Twitter's going to grow when a guy like that's operating it. So the edge you have to be willing to pay the price that another person is not. I'll never forget. I'm coming up in the insurance industry. I'm 25 years old. This one lady who was a former accountant, married, good market, educated, degree, I got nothing. And she says, you know, you have to realize, Patrick, you're not at our level. You can never compete with us. And I said, there's one thing that you don't have that I have. And I never told her what it was, but I knew deep down inside. There's one thing. And it's the most intimidating thing when you go against a competitor. And it's the fact that that person's not going to stop. If you go up against most opponents, most of them have a number or a lifestyle where, where they'll stop. Meaning, the moment I have a million bucks, boom. The moment I have five million, boom. The moment I have that house, boom. The moment I'm married with kids, boom. The moment I'm worth a hundred, there's, there's always a, the moment I, I will be cruising and I'll be more kicking back. Yeah. I'm not planning on stopping. There's only one person that can stop me and it's the man upstairs in, 
if he says you can keep going, I'm going to keep going. So the concept of immigrant mentality and knowing the fact that we're not going to stop, it's a big edge you have in a, in a, in a capitalistic society. Yeah, I really believe there's something about coming from um, a privileged lifestyle which um, takes away your drive. There's nothing like having no safety net which just pushes you to never stop, like you said. Um, but that's fascinating about the US military. I like what you said, um, that you're a spy. So what was the actual reason, as an Iranian, that you'd want to join the US military? And also, how did that then um, aid you in becoming an entrepreneur? Well, you know, I love this country. I love America. But also, at the same time, I had a one point a GPA in high school. I was not a good student. I was not good in class. Uh, I was 880 out of my class of 1,000 graduating students. You know, I was 880. And so nobody ever, if you go back to my high school and you talk to my classmates, they'll tell you nobody ever thought Pat's going to do anything. Nobody. So I was, my counselor said military is a good option. Jesus Guerrero was following up with me from the recruiting station. And finally I said, listen, I'm going to go into the Army. One day I made a decision. Call my dad, take me to the uh, recruiting station. I went to the recruiting station. They had just stolen my car. Uh, I told the guy, if you, if you get me to the Army tomorrow, I'm in. Uh, they couldn't do tomorrow, but six weeks later or something, two weeks later, I was in the U.S. Army. Best decision I made at that age. But what did it teach you? Independence, hard work, getting along with different personalities, conflict resolution, working under pressure, uh, right before a problem seems impossible to fix, uh, it teaches you to stick with that problem for another hour, two, three hours, and then all of a sudden you're like, wow, we never thought we were going to resolve this issue, but we did. Uh, the relationships, knowing uh, who breaks under pressure, who does not, mm. how to talk to somebody that's breaking under pressure, how to challenge the ones that do well under pressure to do more because you can get more out of them. It's a lot of different things. It's not one or two things. Military is, is a constant and by the way, you'll talk to I, I went in the army with a few of my friends. My two friends will say nothing good about the military, mm -hmm. but I think the world about the military. And we, we were pretty much stationed in the same place. Life-changing decision I made. Do you think more people should go in and we would see um, more men being men if they, if they went in, if you see what I'm getting at here? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm totally with you. I just think, uh, look, I got, so when you're talking about privileged, my kids live a privileged lifestyle. My mission is to figure out how to get them to maximize the benefits they have to go to the next level. Right now, we're working on one topic. Uh, every time I'm dealing with a challenge that I want to get better at, we turn that into a course. So business planning workshop that we do is because I want to master the art of teaching my guys how to do business plan. So sales leadership seminar, I wanted to be a great sales leader, so boom. You know, a, a strategy, business strategy. We did an event. We wrote a, I wrote a book called Your Next Five Moves. I got a business planning book that's coming out with Penguin right now. But the next one is generational wealth because the concept of generational wealth is two-tone, right? Two, one of them is you making generational wealth. Two is making sure it passes down to the next generation. So if you look at the Vanderbilts, and at what one point Vanderbilts were known as the richest family in the world. There's not a single Vanderbilt today that has money. And even Anderson mm -hmm. Cooper, who comes from the lineage of Vanderbilt, his mother told him, just so you know, even though we're Vanderbilts, you're not a, there, you, there's no trust fund for you. So you're not a trust fund, baby. I don't have any money to pass over to you. You got to go figure out to make your own money. So Cooper made his own money, right? But Vanderbilt's at one point, they had a 150,000 square foot vacation home. Who has 150,000 vacation yeah. home, right? But the parents were rich, but they didn't know how to pass the money down. So it continues. 
You look at the Medici family, who is able to continue the money over and over and over again. Vanderbilt's lasted two generations. I think Rockefellers are on three. Mm -hmm. I think Medici's went seven or eight. The Rothschilds are continuing. There's a lot of the Waltons are on second generation right now, third generation right now. So for me, I have to figure out a way to create that challenge in times for my kids, even though they're living that privileged life. So going back to these men that you're talking about what they need, there's no question men need to be tougher. There's no question men need a tough personality in their lives. For example, a coach that kicks your ass could replace a drill sergeant. A father that challenges you to do certain things that doesn't make any sense. Dad, give me a break. Why do I need to do this? It doesn't matter. Like for me with my kids, the moment you turn six years old in the Bed David family, you're required to read 20 pages every day. That includes Sundays, Christmas, holidays. It doesn't matter. My biggest complaint last week I had with my, the, the parent-teacher conference that we did with our kids, my oldest son, Patrick, he's 10 years old right now, I said, so what, what things can we work on with my son? And the teacher said, I have one challenge with your son, if you can help me out with this. I said, what's that? I can't get your son to stop reading, Amazing. and he doesn't pay attention to me. And I said, I'm sorry, ma'am, I can't help you with that. I'm not going to tell my kid to stop reading. Half the battle is getting your kids to read. So you got to read 20 pages the moment you turn six. You have to move your body, whether you like it or not, you have to move your body. There are certain things that we do as a family, but those are the expectations. It's not, it's not fair to the average kid. Most other families come over and like, oh, can I play? You here, come play with my iPad. I said, he can play on his iPad. You don't have permission to play on your iPad because you haven't read yet. Mm -hmm. You got to go read your 20 pages. But dad, nope, he knows. So they go read. And parents ask, so how can you do this? All this other stuff. If I don't do it now, it'll be 10 times harder. So yeah, with boys... We need to figure out a way to toughen up boys, and if there's any way to do it, military is one way that sh certainly works for a lot. I think that's so fascinating. I hear a lot of um, successful individuals talking about not giving their children an easy life, and I think actually an easy life is probably one of the reasons why the world has become so soft. Um, so I, I, think, I think that's fascinating. What I have noticed right now is that if you go on Instagram and you look at every, every person's bio, it says entrepreneur. Everybody now is an entrepreneur in 2022. Mm -hmm. So what, what is an entrepreneur in 2022? What does that look like? Well, I mean, you know, the, the difference between a business owner and an entrepreneur, right? Mm -hmm. So um, recently we've been looking at buying a big business magazine. So we're talking to everybody about buying a business magazine. We'll have these calls and we're making an offer on two of them. Whether we'll buy it or not, we don't know. Maybe we'll buy it a year or two years from now, but... The process is not an easy process when you're buying the, the platform. But you learn a lot about the evolution of business owner versus entrepreneur. A business owner owned one business, had a few employees, made their money, and that's it. Maybe you own a big business, you got 500 employees, 1,000 employees, but it's one business you're running. An entrepreneur is a little bit of a few different things you do. Uh, I would tell you myself, I was first a business owner uh, if we really look at the definitions, even though my bio says entrepreneur since 10 <laughs> years old, because even at 10 years, I was making money many different ways. So it was all about the multiple streams of income, which I don't believe in. I believe multiple streams of income should come way later on. So for me, uh, I'm doing the entrepreneur stuff and I'm making money from seven different places. But seven different places adds up to 20 grand a month, 15 grand a month, 10 grand a month. It's not a lot mm -hmm. of money. Finally, I said, I'm not doing this anymore. I said, listen, moving forward, I'm only doing one thing. And that's insurance. And that's it. I'm not doing nothing else. Mm -hmm. I don't want to sell stocks. I don't want to sell bonds. 
I don't want to do mortgages. I don't want to do real estate. I don't want to do futures. I don't want to do commodities. I have the license to sell most of these. I don't want to do mutual funds. I just want to specialize in insurance, right? Because I read this book, Blue Ocean Strategy, fascinating book. If you haven't read it yet, he, the author explains how in order to have a blue ocean, most people are competing in a red ocean. Red ocean is a bunch of sharks stealing from each other, so they're biting, biting, so they're all bleeding. Where you should leave that ocean and go to a blue ocean and get a market no one's in. So mm -hmm. Yellowtail, instead of competing with wine drinkers, Yellowtail said, no, we're going to go compete with beer. Because no wine company is competing with beer, boom, they take off. So I said, no, we're going to go and just do insurance. And we're going to target, at that time, the average agent was a 56-year-old white male. Only 17% of agents were women. And the Hispanic community, nobody was touching them in the insurance industry. I said, our blue ocean is to go where people are not going. I saw everybody wanted to be a girl boss. You yeah. know, for every dollar spent 75 cents, the decision's made by a woman. So I'm looking at these stats. I'm like, okay. Then I saw Ron Paul raise $6 million in 24 hours on MySpace mm. running for office. I said, 69-year-old man raises $6 million on MySpace in Incredible. 24 hours. Incredible. So social media wasn't yet a thing because mm -hmm. in the financial industry, it was a lot of regulation. So I said, we're going to go target insurance. So today, 54% of our agents are women, the insurance company that I ran that we just sold. Uh, the 51% are Hispanic. The average agent is a 34-year-old Hispanic female, social media galore, and the agency grew from 66 agents to 37,000 agents today that we've licensed because we went after one thing. So entrepreneur is after you make your money, mm. then maybe you got five, six, seven, eight different things going on. But I'm willing to tell you, if you want to make the real money first, just focus on being a business owner first. Then when you make your $10 million, then go on trying to be an entrepreneur. Again, a lot of people don't agree with me, but that's my philosophy. That's interesting because I like the idea of having multiple streams of income because I'm terrified of not having an income, basically. I think the idea of relying on one centralized individual or place or whatever sure. just terrifies me. So is there a number a month that you would say, Okay, that's, if you're making that, then you can have multiple streams of income. Yeah, so I think for, for me, it's how big is your vision, mm. period. Because, okay, let's process this guy, Elon, right? PayPal, what's he sell it for? They sell it for $1.5 Of the $1.5 they sold it for, his net was 180 Of the 180 he got, you know which company he put the most money in? Which one? Do you know this one? I don't, is it? It's pretty interesting because I thought it's going to be the other one. Out of the 180 he put $100 million into SpaceX, okay. $70 in Tesla, oh, and wow. 10 he put into the solar company or something. No, no, into the boring company or solar company. Okay. But the most money he put into SpaceX, 70 Tesla, and the 10 goes elsewhere, right? So the solar company today, if you look at the valuation, I want to say it's a $24 billion company. I may be wrong. $25 billion company, give or take. Tesla's valuation, $1, 2000000000000 $2 I think today it's at around $680, $700 billion, right? The solar thing or whatever else he's got going on. Now he spends fifty or forty-four billion to buy, you know, Twitter, which I believe he'll turn into a trillion-dollar company. I have my specific reasons why I believe he can do that. If you look at that case study, the difference between a Bezos and a Musk, they both want to go create, you know, go into space and all that other stuff, right? Who do you think is doing it to add to their resumes? 
And who do you think is doing it because they truly want to go find out what the hell is going on in space? Elon Musk is doing it exactly. because he wants to find out. Yeah. Because since he was a kid, he read that one book, Galaxy. You know, uh, So to him, it's like, man, I've always been enamored with space. Bezos is like, nope, I'm going to get there. It's like a resume checklist like Russell Brand, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, 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 the guy from Virgin. Uh, uh, Richard Branson. Richard Branson, yeah. right. So he's kind of like, I'm going to go as well. But it's different reasons. Mm -hmm. Elon's not going to space because he wants to say, I got there before you did. He's truly trying to figure out what's going on. So again, multiple streams of income. What's your vision? My vision was a complete different vision because my concern was how people are controlling the narrative by owning a lot of different media platforms. And so like Forbes, do you know Forbes uh, was bought by a Chinese company? Do you know Forbes? That was originally the founder of Forbes. His son took it to the next level. Incredible story what his son did. But then uh, the next guy took it over, uh, whoever's running it right now, Steve Forbes, I want to say, he eventually sold it to a China company that owns 95% of Forbes today. Oh, Do you wow. know who they announced the International Woman of the Year was last year in 2021? I actually don't A wonderful woman named Hillary Clinton. Oh, she's the woman of the Can year. Can you imagine Forbes, where the guy who ran Forbes, the plane was called Capitalist's Tool, that he would travel everywhere, he put a birthday party together on his 70th birthday party. He invited everybody. He was best friends with Elizabeth Taylor. I think six, 700 people showed up to his birthday. You know what he gave to everybody on his birthday? Surprising. A Rolex watch wow. to every guest. Okay? So this guy was like the voice for capitalism. Who buys Forbes? 95% of China. So for me, the vision of why we're making money is to be able to control the narrative where capitalists... Yeah. Is still the hero. So if you're going back to your, you can't imagine having only one stream of income. Yeah. It all depends on the vision. If you're trying to build to sell to get a lot of money, then to have a lot of different things, well, that's a different vision than somebody that's trying to have it today. Media controlling the narrative is um, a really hot topic. You mentioned Elon Musk. So let's, let's get into it. Why do you think Elon Musk is going to turn Twitter into a trillion dollar company? Uh, okay, so let's go through a few different things. Number one, I think TikTok is going to be banned in the next two to four years. I think Patrick is actually right. TikTok is definitely going to get banned in the next two to four years, probably by the United States. And when that happens, the rest of the world, like the United Kingdom, is definitely going to follow. That's why I want to take a moment to talk to you about Tommy Dow. It's an alternative internet built by the people for the people, completely decentralized, which cannot be shut down by governments. You guys know that I'm a huge free speech advocate. Even if you think TikTok or whatever the speech is, is potentially harmful, I stand by free speech. I think it's imperative to any functioning civil society and also to find out truth, we need free speech. This is why I believe in Tommy providing the world with a new decentralized alternative internet. If you'd like more information, then I'm gonna leave the link for you in the description below. Now let's get back to finding out why Patrick thinks TikTok is gonna be banned and why more censorship is coming. A president is gonna ban TikTok and that's gonna happen in no time. When they do, there's gonna be a major uproar. Biden would never do it, but I think a Republican president will ban TikTok. TikTok's already banned by uh, um, India, who mm -hmm. banned 100 different apps. And the next president will do it, who's on the Republican side. If a Joe Rogan, who's known as a centrist, is saying the red wave is coming, like the shining elevator opening up, and he is not a fan of TikTok, just in the next few years, TikTok's going to be banned. When that happens, that's a lot of users that have to find a home. Mm. And they're not going to go to Facebook because Facebook has totally screwed it up. They lost valuation of uh, uh, this year alone. When I, t I, mean, I don't know if you know how much they lost this year in valuation. He lost $100 billion of net worth. But Facebook's valuation has dropped $800 billion 
insane on how much valuation that is. So why did they lose that kind of valuation? He's not trusted, unfortunately. Yeah. It's going to hurt, hurt him, obviously. Facebook's not trusted. They're th you know, throttling Instagram on who gets to see your post. Mm -hmm. They do it with Facebook as well. So the audience from there, it's not like TikTok audience is going to go to Instagram. Some of it will, but they're going to go to Twitter. Number two, I think Elon's going to turn Twitter into the next WeChat. If you're familiar with yeah. WeChat in China, WeChat is one app that does it all. You know, you can do Uber, Lyft, uh, food, you know, content creation, texting, WhatsApp. Everything under one app is WeChat. WeChat has around 900 million users. It's a trillion auto company. I think Elon will do that here. Next thing I think Elon will do is Elon will figure out with this $8 a month memberships that he's doing that people are complaining yeah. about. But I think he's going to have a $29.99, $99.99, $199, and we're going to pay for it. Because LinkedIn, as much as people bitch about it, LinkedIn's lowest one is $99, and it goes all the way up to $129.99. No one's ever complained about LinkedIn. you got to figure out a way to make money. He'll do that. He's going to create the app to allow content creators to come to make money. So he's going to have a form of a YouTube on Twitter, mm. which, by the way, when he does that, it's going to be quite scary when he does that. Next one, he's bringing his engineers from Tesla. He brought 50 engineers from Tesla in to look at the technology. So he's going to make the technology better in Twitter. And that's a no-brainer when he brings Tesla's engineers. He brought Tesla's head of HR. They're going to hire the best of the best to clean house with Twitter. Obviously, half the company is getting laid off. And he'll bring the right people in. I think he's going to probably leave California, move the headquarters to most likely Austin mm -hmm. or Florida. I don't think he'll stay there. And then the freedom of, you know, freedom of speech type of people who feel comfortable right now talking. No one's feeling uncomfortable talking on Twitter. Yeah. You're pretty comfortable. I mean, yesterday somebody got uh, deplatformed or suspended. I don't know if you saw that I with did, Kat, yeah. Kathy, what she did. But she was impersonating Kim. So she's trying to troll. He's like, nope, you're off. Yeah. If you choose to adjust, you can come back. And I, at the end of the day, why I think it will be a trillion auto companies because the guy that's running it, Elon, um, I believe he's going to I try to get some money to get into the company. Kathy Wood from ARC mm -hmm. uh, was able to get some investment into Twitter. But if you invest with ARC today, uh, per dollar you put, only 12 cents goes into the Twitter stock. So we're trying to figure out a way to get into the Twitter, although it's very, very hard. Morgan Stanley's not doing it. Goldman's not doing it. But... I'm just a big believer what's going to happen. By the way, I could be completely wrong, and it completely flops, and it does nothing, and I'm comfortable with that. But if I'm a betting man, I would bet on Twitter being a trillion auto company. My only issue with um, Elon Musk evolving the company, turning it into some kind of uh, WeChat, like you said, is that it would almost become unusable and saturated, a bit like Facebook. Facebook, they tried to do that, and I know obviously there are other reasons why uh, Mark Zuckerberg failed, but... I feel like it might become saturated, difficult to use. And I think one of the reasons Twitter was so successful is because it just remained one thing. Yeah. Do you not think it could potentially become so unusable? Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you tweeted a complaint or a concern at Mark Zuckerberg and he responded back? Never. So, well, I don't think he's on Twitter, actually. Well, the point is just never, period, yeah. right? But when's the last time you hear number of stories where Elon responds back wanting feedback and yes. ideas on how to make it better? That's the difference. This, mm. is, this is not a regular guy. Elon is a guy that knows what he wants, but I also believe Elon's a guy that's a what do you think? Mm. Like, hey, audience, what do you think? Should I bring Vine back? Yeah. What do you think uh, to make Twitter the next app? And then Mr. Beast says, whatever you do, don't do what anybody else can duplicate and copy. So this is a what do you think guy with his own uh, identity and signature to the product. It's a different operator. Mm. Very, very different. This is not just a... Very, very smart guy. 
This is a very, very, very smart guy that understands he still needs you. Mm. That's the difference. So some of these guys are like, ah, you're going to do it no matter what, whether you like it or not. I don't think that's Elon. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I see him replying to people all the time on Twitter. So, yeah, that's a great point. Guys with $300 billion replying to people. Eddie's there just tweeting. The average person will be like, who do you think you are? Do you know who I am? Why would I respond? It's like, no, okay, cool. Yeah, it's amazing. He's a different guy. It's amazing. Um, I want to just focus a little bit more on um, entrepreneurship. I want to understand why or if you do think entrepreneurship is so important. And also, the world has changed a lot in the last 20 years. So would you say that being an entrepreneur now is far more important than it was 20, 30 years ago? I, uh, uh, do, do I think it's more important now than 20, 30 years ago? I don't know if I could say more important or less important. I think it was definitely more important 200 years ago, 100 mm. years ago, because they needed to really set the tone and get it going. Uh, uh, what I do think is happening today as well is entrepreneurs are becoming just as valuable as entrepreneurs. The only difference between an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur is the one guy put up the money and risked it, and the other guy didn't. Aside from that, the entrepreneur still works as hard, still is obsessed about the company 24-7, is still wanting to grow the company, owns a piece of the company. A Steve Ballmer, who's a $100 billion guy, he's an entrepreneur. A Tim Cook is an entrepreneur. Mm. Steve Jobs, on the second time around, when he came back, he was an entrepreneur. So I think uh, uh, the pressures of having to, like, I, I would love to see Twitter profiles and Instagram profiles changing to saying entrepreneur just as much as we see entrepreneur because companies that are creating an environment of entrepreneurship are able to stay innovative and trendy where companies that are just here's how we do it you better do this and da 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 da, da they're not going to produce entrepreneurs but going back to answer your question for you on the entrepreneur side i think markets need entrepreneurs I think a Detroit today needs to figure out a way to get rid of all the politicians and bring the entrepreneurs mm. in. I think a New York needs to eliminate as much politics that they have. And remember, this city became the financial capital of the world because of entrepreneurs. Let's get back to that. If I was a governor of a country, of a state, or if I was a president of a country, I would, I would make a very big investment and focus and emphasis on recognizing the entrepreneurs, the job creators, and then seeing what area doesn't have enough of them and giving incentives to go into those communities. Like, we're in Fort Lauderdale, right? Do you think there's more entrepreneurs in Fort Lauderdale or Miami right now? I'm going to guess Miami. You're right. It is Miami. And look what's happening to Miami, right? So if, yeah. if I'm running Fort Lauderdale, I'm finding out a creative way to bring people here. You know, if I'm more on the inside, I'm going to try to bring people in from Orlando. But some markets needed more than others. And some countries need it more than others. But I think you need both entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs today. Do you think people are walking around calling themselves entrepreneurs when they're entrepreneurs or freelancers these days? Um, do you think that the term entrepreneur sort of lost its uh, true meaning? You know, here's, here's how it also looks, okay? You ever met people that think they're very good looking, but they're not? Yes. Okay. You ever <laughs> met a girl that thinks she's so super attractive, but she's not? Probably. Okay. And then you ever met a girl who's super attractive, but she doesn't know she's attractive? Of course. And then you ever met a guy that's extremely handsome, but he's like not confident about himself, mm. right? So how do you tell him apart, right? The way you tell it apart is by what the market calls you. You can go to a local business place, get a DBA and create a business card, call yourself CEO. But if you're the only person that calls you a CEO, you're not a CEO, right? <laughs> yeah. If hundreds of other people call you their CEO, you're a true CEO. You can call yourself an entrepreneur, but if nobody in the marketplace sees you as an entrepreneur, 
you're uh, delusional mm-hmm. and it's okay. A lot of people are. You know, a lot of people think they're sexy, but they're not. Mm-hmm. And that's okay if you think you're sexy. More power to you. Some people think they have to take care of their health. Some people think they have to exercise. There's certain people that think, no, I'm 300 pounds and I'm sexy. I don't think I'm sexy when I'm 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. I remember when I hit 257 pounds and I look at my wife, I said, babe, what is up with that belly of mine? I'm looking at the mirror. I said, that's nasty. Oh my God, what the hell happened? I'm always 240. I got 17 pounds. I got to figure something out. So then you lose the weight because to me, 257 doesn't look right. right. So typically the guys that are true entrepreneurs or doers or entrepreneurs, their level of expectation of themselves is so much higher mm. than those that they're not. Did you see the recent movie by Elvis Press, the Elvis movie? I actually didn't watch oh it, my. but have I heard you, it was have amazing. Have you seen it? Or no? Oh, have my God. It? So the guy's name is Austin Butler. Austin's, Austin Butler, right? Have, if you've not seen the movie, do yourself a favor. Go first watch his interview with Jimmy I watched, Kimmel. I watched the interview. Oh my my brother God. told me to watch it, so oh we watched it together. God. And you watch the guy, and he says... Uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I'm more like the guy that just, you know, I struggle with not being good enough. And, you know, I feel like I'm not there yet. And, you know, I got work to do and I'm here in Elvis's house and that's what I'm dealing with. And you're like, I believe him. I yeah. don't think he's being fake. Like he's being authentic. I watched the movie twice in the first week because I just believe this guy. Right. Mm. And my kids watched it. We watched, we watched the interview together. There's, there's a certain weird insecurity and the people that constantly get better yes. and improve, they don't think they're there yet or good enough yet. So if you automatically want to call yourself an entrepreneur or whatever, and you haven't really ran a business, maybe it makes you feel better, totally fine. I understand the whole concept. What is the concept from uh, that one movie, uh, J.T. Marlin? Uh, what is that movie with the stockbrokers, the fake stockbrokers? Yeah, but what's the movie's name? Boiler Room, right? The fake it till you make it, right? I understand there's a place for fake it till you make it, but you better make it. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to fake it till you never make it, it's like people are burned out of you talking about you're going to be there one day. But you can fake it for a minute, but you better eventually make it. I've heard that before, and I think it's fascinating, the idea that entrepreneurs are people who have such high expectations for themselves and nothing is good enough, and that's what keeps them going. Is that what keeps you going? Yeah, for me, it's a vision. So it's a few different things. One, I, I have a side. Like right now, where I'm eating at my at the lunch restaurant I'll, I go to, and the guy next to me says, hey, Pat, can we do something to come? He's a guy that follows the content. I said, sure, he wants to do book signing. So he starts saying, do you know I've collected baseball cards? I have every baseball player's autograph since 1946. I said, what? He says, every player that's ever placed in, played in baseball, major leagues, I have their autograph. I said, since 1940, he says, I said, how many players are there? 13,000. Wow. And then he says, I heard you're also into cars. I said, you know what's so crazy? I thought I was into cars. I don't like cars. I have a truck parked outside. Every day I drive a truck, okay, F-150. It's a Shelby. It's nice, but that's what I do. last three years, that's all I drive. The other night, we're going to uh, uh, Mario just recently got engaged, and we're going to Casa D'Angelo for dinner. I tell Jen, Jen, let's take the Ferrari out. No, babe, my skirt, and I would much. I'm like, ah, let's just take the, we took one of the SUVs or whatever. We went there. But I tell you, if I look at a baseball card, I'm 12 years old. Mm. If I hold one of the cards, you're going to be like, this guy's not 44. Mm -hmm. He's childlike. Business to me, I feel that way. When I'm playing business, I feel like I'm 12 years old. I feel like we're playing a game, Mm -hmm. and it's a freaking blast when you're playing this game, right? The other part of it is vision. And the other part of it is my uh, 
One of our relatives insulted my dad when I was 25 years old at a Christmas party, and he did it right in front of me, and I made a promise to my dad that I'm going to keep till the day I die. I said, the world is going to know your last name, and I was a nobody at that time. I'm a regular 25-year-old. I'm making maybe six figures. No one knows who I am. I've never produced the content, never produced a video. I've never done nothing like that, but I said, the world's going to know your last name. And you're going to be very proud that you sacrifice everything to bring us to U.S. You're going to see what I'm going to do. I'm hopefully you're going to be alive to see all this stuff. And obviously, he's getting a glimpse of it right now. So game, long-term vision, and pops is the reason why I love this game. That's beautiful. I like that a lot. If you had to start all over again from the beginning and build your wealth up, which industry would you say is the most lucrative? Would you get into um, finance, banking, crypto, content creation, real estate? Where would you start? Such a great question. My answer is a different question. My answer is I don't care about the industry. I want to I work with a killer. It's who I want to work with. I want to work with somebody that is absolutely nonstop obsessed very good at what, I don't care if that guy's in real estate, if it's in insurance, if it's in crypto, if it's in pharmaceutical sales, I don't care if it's in technology, coding, don't care. Mm -hmm. If you're the best and you're the only one I have access to getting close to, to working with, I wanna learn your habits, I wanna learn your day-to-day, -day, I wanna learn your obsession, I wanna learn how you negotiate behind closed doors. There is this camera that people are watching right now with our interview, run, but they haven't seen how I negotiate when I'm doing negotiations on a call or a Zoom with other people. So they don't know how that works. Versus when you're in the room and you're seeing how uncomfortable it gets at one point, and you're three of my guys sitting there, and then you six years later, you're negotiating that way. The value of that is not, let me do a course and teach you how to negotiate. Mm. If I'm able to work with somebody in any industry, I am very much open to any industry. If I'm 21 years old coming out, I'm gonna work with anybody as long as that person's a killer. I wanna talk about the negotiation and how uncomfortable that can be. Um, because I know how uncomfortable that can be. And I, so I, do, I actually don't like to do it. I have men that do that because it's just, it's just better for me. But talk to you about why that's uncomfortable. H how do you deal with that level of confrontation? And how do you also walk away from a deal because you're just not happy with what's on the table? It's so much fun. I mean, it's Ugh, like, I find it so uncomfortable. Me? Like to me, a good debate, a good cut. The other day we had a guy on the podcast, Antonio Brown, who uh, 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 the most uncomfortable podcast we've ever done, who just called words, everything. You an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. You acting like a girl like this. And at one point of the podcast sitting there saying, huh, okay, what are we going to do here right now? I really don't need to be here. This guy is very difficult. But let's see if we can break through this year. So that additional... Let me take a different angle on the way I'm going to communicate with them and see where we can go. And then the conversation went to, I heard you like to swim. <laughs> yeah, I like to swim. I said, how early do you swim in the morning? I said, no, how old were you when you first started swimming? I was a kid. Why do you like swimming? I said, because when you're underwater, you don't hear anything. Mm. Interesting. I love that. Okay, mm. so that's like a concept of bike, motorcycle. When you're out there, motorcycle, you don't hear anything. It's like you're in a certain mode, right? I said, so tell me about this. And then we went into Brady, and then he made a comment about Brady and what he does. I said, Brady had your back. Why'd you do this? And then that video was, went viral all over the media. They're writing about it. But that is a form of a negotiation in an interview mm. where it gets uncomfortable. And if you take the right turn, it's about to be a very interesting interview versus, oh, my God, I made him upset. It's uncomfortable. Let me back down. So in negotiation, you're going to hit that wall as well, where at one point, 
one party or both parties are going to be uncomfortable. And whoever cannot, whoever cannot handle it in that moment. Uh, and, and by the way, here's the other part. I used to be the one where negotiating was about 100% me winning and the other person losing. Mm-hmm. And then I noticed as a 20-year-old, people weren't coming back to want to keep doing business with me. So that's not the right way either. You have to do it in a way where you're making money, they're making money. Someone's always going to get a little bit of a better, uh, better, better deal, mm-hmm. right? You know, and it's always like MCI, I think it was MCI and AT&T or somebody like that. When somebody bought AT&T and the company that bought AT&T, they, they were bigger. So AT&T is like, well, we're not okay with you buying us. Why not? He says, because of our name. He says, of course, if we buy you, we're going to use your name, not ours. So to AT&T, that's a win. Mm-hmm. Because they wanted to keep the name AT&T to the other companies. Like, we don't care what the name is. We're bigger. We want to buy you. We'll let the company. So imagine, like, actually, let's process this as a bigger company. Imagine, let's pick a name. Ford Motor Company buys, give me a small car company, whatever small car company. And Ford is willing to change the company's name to the other car company, even though that's kind of what happened. So mm-hmm. in negotiation, AT&T still felt like, Day one because a legacy the name so mm-hmm. but it's a game it's a beautiful game yeah. and if you do it right more people want to negotiate with you I was thirty one years old sitting there negotiating with a guy named Harry okay not gonna tell you the full name but he's probably gonna be years about this so we were sitting there he says Pat I'm afraid to do business with you <laughs> I said tell me why he's a Wharton Business School guy love this guy spent time with him and his wife and he wanted to invest and I said uh, listen. This is the percentage that I'm willing to do that, this investment. He says, you know, it's, it's midnight. We're at my office. We've been talking for five hours. He says, you know, I'm afraid to negotiate with you. He says, what? He says, because I'm afraid you're going to get the better deal and not me. I said, let's just say that's the truth. But let me kind of give you something else for you to be thinking about. I said, let's say that does happen. Wouldn't you want your running mate to be a ridiculous negotiator if you and I are partners together? Mm-hmm. He says, I would. I said, if you come in with this, with this investment, I'm officially going to negotiate the deals for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Why don't we do this together? You know what he does? He doesn't do the deal. Oh, he doesn't? Doesn't do the deal. Why not? You know how much it cost him? You know what his investment would have made him? 40 times his investment would have made him. Wow. 40 times. He knows it. Why okay? wasn't he convinced? Because he still thought I was I, getting yeah. the better deal. Right. He, ha- he had a hard time with him. By the way, you know how much it cost me for not doing that deal? He helped me make. He made more money. I don't know, 25 million, 40 million bucks. Oh my God. Just by him saying no. So I appreciate you. Thank you so <laughs> much, man, for not wanting to take that offer. That's amazing. What a sweetheart of a guy, no? Absolutely. Yeah, I Take like him a major lot. shout out to Harry. Great <laughs> guy. Shout out to Harry. <laughs> Very thankful for Harry. He's actually a really good guy, good family guy, but yeah. cost himself 40 million bucks. But not good in business. No. Uh, well, he's good, good in good business, as you. but he's afraid. He's, he's afraid. afraid. Okay, got to take some risks. You do. Sometimes it's, a, and by the way, you know, I don't blame him because at that time I was not yet proven. Mm, mm. I was only proven to be a great sales leader right. and a great salesperson. I'd never run a company. I'd never exited a company. So his return, his risk was valid that he had that concern, but I also knew I was going places. And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to talk about the world that we're living in right now, because like I said at the beginning, there's a lot of strange things happening. We saw lockdowns, medical coercions, mandates, inflation's at a 40-year high. Nobody seems to know what a woman is these days. Um, so I want to get your take on what you think the hell is going on right now. What I love about this, we, nobody knows what a woman is. I know. So here's, here's how, 
how awesome this is. Okay. You know why I like to interview communists? I think I am, we've interviewed more communists on Valuetainment than any other channel on YouTube. And the reason for it is the following. The key with a communist or a socialist is to let them talk. Mm. The more a socialist talks, the more a communist talks, eventually, you know what happens? There's flaws in their argument. It doesn't work. So, so let's just say this whole thing with women, right? The question is asked, so what's a woman? Oh, why are you asking me a question like that? I'm not a biologist to answer <laughs> that question. You don't need to be a biologist to know what a woman is. Right. Yeah, but I'm just not in that space, so just ask me a different question. But what is a woman? If you think you're a woman, you're a woman. Oh, really? Yeah, okay, cool. No problem. Four weeks later, that same person is arguing for women's rights. Mm -hmm. You can't do that now. So, so, but what happens all of a sudden is they get stuck. And they're like, oh, my God, now what do I say? What just happened is your BS got exposed. That's a beautiful thing. When you and I don't have an argument, okay, and you try to keep selling your point, the more you talk, if you truly have an argument, then it's, I'm going to be like, you know what? She's got a good point. Mm -hmm. But if it's BS, the more you talk, then there's going to be leaks. And forget about me seeing the leaks in your argument. You're going to see the leaks in your argument. Now you're going to be like, oh, let me change the subject and deflect to go a different place. We've all done this. I've done it as a kid. You do it as an adult. You do it as a You're going to go through this naturally. The biggest thing about today is bad ideas don't work. Bad policies have consequences. Ludicrous ideas eventually get exposed. And people are not naive or dumb. For the small percentage that wants to protect their egos and follow through on their parents' politics, whatever their parents' politics were, some people will never be Republicans because their dad cheated on their mom and you will never, ever get them to be a Republican because to become a Republican means you're saying your dad was okay for what he did. Some kids will never become Democrats or Republican because of upbringing. Some people won't become because it was a rich person in the family that left you and you didn't spend a lot of time with them. So to everybody you see in your life, you see it as that. I was 14 years old. The first time politics was something that I was having to think about because our Miss Luz, our teacher, was talking about it. So I come home and I say, Mom, are we Democrats or are we Republicans? Mm. And she says, uh, yeah, we're Democrats. I said, why are we Democrats? And she says, we're Democrats because Democrats are for the poor and Republicans are for the rich. I said, you know, when I grow up one day, I want to be a Republican. Mm. And I have no clue what a Republican is. All I meant to say is, as a kid is, I want to be rich one day. I'm a registered independent today, center-right, politically full capitalist when it comes on to economy. Uh, but I think they're losing because their arguments make zero sense long-term. But why are we at this point where these policies and arguments, although they make zero sense, are actually being implemented and rolled out um, across America, but also across the world? Because Americanization is very powerful and very real. The moment you're within a clique, most people feel the obligation to agree with anybody on your clique says, right? And it's very hard to disagree with people in your own clique. Mm -hmm. So parents, your dad believes in something. It's hard to say, I don't know if I believe. Yeah. Mom says, I don't know if I believe that, right? Okay. All right. So if you're, you're a, you've always voted Democrat, okay? And the Democrats say, well, here's a trans this. And you look around, you're like, Oh, okay. I got 19 other Democrats I respect are saying this. Yeah, so here's what you... And you're like, but I don't believe that. Okay, that's kind of weird. I don't... But I, okay, that's not a big deal. Let's let this one go. It's not going to be a big deal. And then they say, but, but let me also tell you this. 
And here's why if you don't take this, you're not being responsible. And you're somebody that's maybe a freedom of choice when it comes down to, you know, abortion or pro-life or uh, pro-choice. You're pro-choice. And you're like, why am I forcing this person to take what they don't want to take? Isn't that pro-choice? But mm. everybody on my side is saying, yeah, okay, yeah, you got to take it. If you don't, you don't care about my health because you're mm -hmm. putting my life in jeopardy. You're irresponsible. And then you go home and you're like, that doesn't make any sense yeah. though, right? So some, unfortunately, will blindly mm -hmm. vote for anything that their side says. Very few people will question. And those who question eventually will get closer to the truth. And those who don't will be a pawn that that party is going to use until you eventually can't think for yourself. Yeah, there's a, a lot of pawns right now. And I think um, there's a lot of people who over the last two years knew that things weren't right, but quietly had to just go along with it because they're, you know, identity politics. You're a woman, you're an immigrant, you have to, you know, think certain things. But there's other strange things going on, like unelected elites at the World Economic Forum talking about climate change, digital IDs. Um, these are the same people that set the COVID narrative. There's Bill Gates buying up farmland. The World Economic, the World Economic Forum even said that by 2030, you'll own nothing, you'll be happy, and you'll eat bugs. So my question to you is, what do you think the purpose is behind all of this? And do you want to eat bugs and own nothing? And do you think you'll be happy? So, you know, I'm assuming if I were to come into your office, right behind your desk, if I'm a betting man, I'm willing to bet, there's probably a nice poster or paint, painting of Klaus Schwab right behind your Oh, that, absolutely. That a, it's actually a, above my bed. It's actually yeah, above my bed, I, I to be more specific. It. I totally, I totally yeah. believe it. That <laughs> there's this, this painting of this guy. But again, going back to it, here's what I'll say to you. So this is a complete different view that I have of this. So say you go to a party, okay? Mm. And you're sitting there, and there's a punk who's a bully. But he doesn't know who you are. And he's bullying everybody, okay? Pushing people around, making fun of them in a weird way. Like in stuff like... There's a difference between being sarcastic and a bully. He's being a dick. He's mm -hmm. being an asshole. He's being a true bully, right? How long will you let it go? Say this is not really your element and your environment. You're just somebody that was invited. Maybe you let it go for 10 minutes. You're like, yeah, it's not. It's his house. I'm not going to say nothing. 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. He's still going. Drinks, gets worse, gets worse, gets worse. And then he comes to you. And then you're eventually going to be like, yeah, no, we're not doing this. Mm -hmm. Very simple. Okay, we're not doing this. You know, everybody has a limit. Some people are a little bit more tolerant than others are. This whole concept of what they're pushing, there are a lot of people that will buy into that. They, they will own nothing and be happy. And now you see the message of minimalism and it's going to be okay. And yesterday we're at church and the pastor's up on stage and talking about who cares about living in a 6,000 square foot house. I know people that are 10 times more happier living in a shack studio oh. with five kids and they're okay. Life is not about this. Life is not about that. And you know what's crazy? I'm looking around the place. I'm like, this is a $200 million facility. Who gave this money to you? Where did this money come from? Yeah. You, didn't you do like a campaign to raise 200 million bucks? So who are you talking to? Who's your audience? Like, who do you think you lose when you talk like that to congregation? You think your person that's sitting at this church that maybe is willing to give you 10 million bucks, 5 million bucks is saying, absolutely, let me give it to this. Or do you think that person takes and says, maybe you don't value somebody like me, part of your church. I get the whole concept about, you know, uh, a poor man has more likely of going into heaven than the rich man. And I totally understand. I've mm -hmm. heard that story a million. We've all heard the story before. But messaging matters in whatever message you have. Uh, one time I was asking my guys, I said, say we have an audience of 100 people. 
and you're up here trying to sell stocks, mutual funds, and bonds, hypothetically. We have 10 different of you that give presentations. To these 100 people, they're all qualified buyers. But you got 10 diff different presenters that give a presentation to these 100 buyers. Will the same amount of buyers buy from all of you? And everyone's like, no. Perfect. Tell me why. Mm. It's like, oh, uh, I don't know. I want you to actually think about this. So maybe the person that said yes to you said no to me. Why did they say no to me? But they say yes to you and they invested $2 million with you. Why did they say no to me? Everything's about messaging. Messaging will attract victims. If everybody around you is a crap magnet, it's because of your messaging. You're a crap magnet. Mm -hmm. If everybody around you is somebody that's going after and wanting to do something big with their lives, it's a reflection of your messaging. If everybody in your political party are the ones that are always complaining, whining, that's what you're selling. If everybody in your political party is independent, doing things, that's part of messaging as well. So maybe we need to take inventory and realize this messaging by Klaus Schwab or the World Economic Forum that they're going out there saying what they're saying. Their messaging is maybe going to work for the first six months, 12 months, maybe five years, maybe 10 years. Then all of a sudden there's going to be an eruption of people that are going to get up and say, wait, wait. Those who specialize in bullying the bully and he's going to realize these people I can't bully. I can't control these masses. I can't control these 28 people. And these 28 people are way more pro powerful than these 2.8 billion people. All it takes is two 28 people that specialize in bullying the bully to get up and say, Klaus, knock it off. You've lost your mind. No people don't feel that way. And the other 2.18 billion are going to be like, what the hell was I thinking about? Don't worry. You're not alone. A lot of people fell for it. They have no clue what they're doing. You want to be free. Trust me. You have your own individual dreams. This right here is only mine. You have yours. He has his, he has his. This is my signature. This is your signature. We all have dreams, some big, some small. We all have them. To say you're going to take away my ability to fight for my dreams, where the hell is my identity? How do I leave my mark here? Not your mark, not his mark, my mark. Klaus has left his mark. How about the rest of the people? It's, it's an idea that's going to get exposed, and people are going to wake up one day. They're going to say, this guy's lost his mind. They have no clue what they're talking about. It's going to happen. It's really optimistic. I'm somewhat a little bit more cynical. I get it. I feel like tyranny happens gradually, um, and I feel like power and money corrupts. So I don't know if those 28 people are really going to... What's going to happen with those 28 people? Wherever those 28 people go, eventually the 2.8 billion people will go. Mm. Meaning, so I, I lived in Iran, okay? Say Khomeini doesn't show up to Iran. Say Jimmy Carter helps the Shah and Kissinger, they kept their promises, and the Shah got help from U.S., and there is no revolution. Khomeini doesn't go to Iran. What happens? Those 3,000 political prisoners are not let out, and 9-11 doesn't take place, right? But Iran lost many of us, but many of us came to the States. Mm -hmm. We went to Australia. We went here. We went different places. We're going to go contribute to the next society. The types of Klaus Schwab that do what they do they're eventually going to deal with people like us. Mm -hmm. We're not going away. The market's filled with people that are fighters. You think Elon Musk 10 years ago had any plans of buying Twitter? Like, you think that was part of his game plan? How much you think that increased during COVID? How much you yeah. think the silencing increased during COVID? You think his plan on his business plan was, one day I'm going to buy Twitter for my friend Jack Dorsey? No. Mm -hmm. I don't see that being on his dream list or a business plan. I just see that they pushed him so much. He says, don't worry. I'm here. I'm going to buy this. Now, here's what I'd love to see. 
if you really want to see this guy make people lose their minds, I'd love to see Elon buy CNN for $6 billion. Mm, I'd like to see it too. I'd love to see him buy CNN for six. By the way, that's all it's going to cost. By the way, it's a $6 billion company right now in shambles. He can probably buy it for $5 for billion. Five. Make the offer of $7 billion, buy it, and go do what Ted Turner originally wanted to do, which is stories from both sides. Go fulfill that guy's prophecy, not the mess they've created at CNN today. So, But guys like that, $6 billion is not a lot of money. People need to see what Musk did. Other billionaires who have that kind of money to say, okay, if Musk bought that, what am I going to buy? Mm -hmm. What are you going to buy? And maybe for you, you know, you may be like, well, I don't have billions. Well, how can you contribute? You're doing that right now with your channel. You're getting people to think. Yeah. People know who you are. You've created a platform. You're getting people to start questioning themselves. And you're from London. Yeah. So the audience that you're bringing is a different audience. But I think more people are going to wake up and say, just this doesn't add up. And that fight's going to continue. Are some countries going to take a fall and lose a decade, two, three decades because they buy into Schwab? 100%. Mm. Are those leaders still going to rise up? Yes. And the, everybody else is going to follow those people every time it does, every time that happens. So these leaders predominantly tend to be men. Um, and I think, um, you know, Elon Musk is a perfect example. Um, and I think there's a huge war on masculinity right now. Mm. I've personally watched the feminization of men. And I'm only in my 20s, but I've seen it in the last 10 years. Um, and I know you, you've spoken a lot about this with your five-hour podcast with Andrew Tate. So why do you think they're trying to feminize men? Do you think it has something to do with not allowing the likes of Elon Musk to rise up and sort of put a stop to the Klaus Schwab agenda? It, it could be. You know, it's... Um, look, you know why I love capitalism. You know why socialists hate capitalism. Think about it. Why do socialists hate capitalism? Because it's freaking hard. Mm. Yeah. It's so <laughs> hard to build a business. It's so difficult. It's so annoying. It could cost you your marriage. You're going to miss out on a lot of parties. You're going to miss out on a lot of great memories. You're going to miss out as a capitalist. It's not easy. They think it's easy. It's so incredibly hard. Elon's most liked tweet, it's, that's got like six or seven million likes. He said, so... I work 16 hours a day for 360 days for 30 years or whatever he puts, and people still call me lucky, right? Mm. You know, no, he's not worth $300 billion because the guy got lucky. Did he get lucky throughout the process? Of course he did. But this thing is hard. So, you know, we have a hard time looking at people and saying, I can never be like you, and that's okay. I can never be LeBron James. As a basketball player, never. I can't jump 46 inches. I, I don't have that vertical ability. I don't have it, right? There's a lot of things we can't do, and that's fine. There's certain things LeBron cannot do that I can do. He just can't do what things I can do, and that's fine, right? There's certain things you can't do that I can do. You have to be okay with that. But there are certain things I can't do that you can do, and I'm certainly very okay with that. When it becomes about you saying no, I want to be able to do we're equal in every aspect of life. You're full of yourself. You're naive, and not only are you naive, you're incredibly arrogant to think that. Mm. Feminists are probably some of the most arrogant people you'll ever meet. As weird as this sounds, they're, they're not tolerable. They don't like to tolerate anybody that disagrees with them. They're arrogant. They think they know it all. They're annoying to be around. They're constant. I put an event together. Such a weird uh, thing happened at the vault. Um, we're at the vault conference, and first night I'm given assignment for people to go answer these questions. So the next day they come out, 
And I said, so tell me, what's your breakthrough you had last night? What decisions did you make? And everybody's giving me theirs. And then all of a sudden, one lady to my right, she's kind of like trying to put her hand up, but she's not. And then she finally puts out, I said, you want to go? I said, go ahead, tell us, what was it for you? So she stands up. She says, you know what, Patrick? Uh, I've been running a salon, one of the best. I'm great at what I do. All my people make a lot of money. We do very, very well. And I've done very well for myself. And her sister sitting right next to her. But she says, I make money. I have money. And I'm sitting here telling you, I want to get married. Oh. I want a man. Yeah. I want a family. And she gets emotional. She says, I no longer want to compete against a man. I want a family. And the entire crowd, quiet. It's like, she just said what? Like, who needs to hear that? Millions of people need to hear that today, mm. right? And you see these 65-year-old women videos going viral where they say, I walked with the feminist. I bought into the argument of being a feminist. Man was an enemy in my life. This lady says, this was the most touching lady. She was not a good talker. Not, she wasn't like, she just regular talking. She says, I'm 65 years old. I've never been married. I have no kids. I will never be able to have kids. I will never be able to experience what it is to be married to a man when I was in my 20s. The concept of feminism stole that away from me. Yeah. Just because I looked at man as the enemy, and he's not. And a lot of people are going to go through this, and it's going to suck. Because this thing goes like this. I'm 44 years old, right? I look at my hands like this. Like this, I look 22, right? <laughs> I look young like this. But like this, I'm 44 years old, okay? This hand didn't look like this when I was 22 years old. I'm 44. I got four kids at the house. You know, my dad's 80. I look at my dad when he walks right now. I'm like, man, you didn't walk like that before. And I see his back, and he's walking like a... And my son tries to mimic how his grandpa walks. It's funny, but at the same time, you're like, this guy's got a hunch in his back. This thing goes by very, very quickly. If there's one thing we cannot do is screw up the family nucleus of what it's like. Because, okay, let's just say you come home, you're a billionaire, and you don't have kids that lives past your life. You don't have somebody to share it with. Let's say every night you sleep with somebody new. Okay, cool. Let's role play that. Every night, first night Mary, second night Jennifer, third night Jackie, fourth night Cindy. How many nights can you go like that? Okay, cool. It's bragging rights. Maybe for a year, two years. Cool. I've been with this many. Who the hell are you having conversations with? Like, what do you think? Like, for me, my high is we work, we go to dinner, we sit down, we have an incredible conversation together, right? That is an incredible feeling with friends, same people preferably, because it's getting deeper and deeper, a spouse, your kids, your family, that's emotional. Mm -hmm. That's why we live. It makes me emotional. Oh, to believe me, it gets me emotional as well. You have no idea how much I, like yesterday, I'm sitting there watching Rocky IV with my kids. And I said, kids, let me tell you something. I said, what do you think about this movie? My Tikhon Dylan afterwards. My son's like, punch him, punch him, hit him, hit him, hit him. He's yeah. getting all into, he's getting animated. And he says, dad, this is one of the best movies of all time. I said, it's the best movie. He says, no, Pearl Harbor is the best movie. But this is the second best movie of all time. So we're sitting afterwards. I said, so tell me what you took away from this movie. And they're telling what they're saying. I said, you guys have to realize this. I said, when I watch this movie, I was seven years old. The first time I watched it, I was in Iran. And my mom's side, they were communists. My dad's side, they were imperialists. It was as if this movie was about my mom and dad, where they would fight all the time. And his message was trying to figure out a way to see what things we have in common. But I said, everybody's a Rocky. We all got big dreams. Don't ever let anybody steal that dream away from you. But 
I enjoy relationships. I enjoy all of that. And unfortunately, this feminist movement is hurting us having relationships and knowing that I got strengths you don't have. You don't. You have strengths I don't have. But what if we work together? We can do something big together. Again, I don't think it's sustainable, but I do think it's going to steal away a lot of people's dreams. Unfortunately, I think that was uh, no said really well. I think that um, I'm blessed to know that feminism is a scam. Like at this age, I'm blessed because I totally agree with you. I think you do reach. As a woman, you do reach an age and, you know, you're just sort of like, is that entirely satisfying? Like, is that what's going to bring me absolute happiness? And you're sort of not allowed to talk about that. You know, there's a lot of shaming if you're a stay-at-home mum. But I, I agree with you. I think there's a, a massive war on the family unit. But it's, but it's not just feminism. There's the feminization of men. So they're trying to make men more feminine so that women then have to rise up to, to fill that void and provide for themselves. Um, so so how, do we, how do we solve the feminization of men? So for some people, it's too late. You can't do nothing about it. Like you see right now, Dwayne Wade's ex-wife is suing him for forcing his son to go through the, you know, trans, you know, surgery before he's 18 years old and they're going back and forth. And some are saying, you know, Dwayne's doing it because he's choosing career because he's about to get a big deal with Disney versus this. I think that kid is done. I think that kid's going to buy into what Dwayne, Gabrielle Union are, are selling to him. He's unfortunately going to be in, and he's going to lose 10, 20 years of his life, most likely. That's the odds. That one's gone. Uh, I think uh, the kids that are going to be raised in parents who's, uh, you know, mom, mom, dad, dad, they're going to be, it's going to take them a minute for them to find themselves. You know, I, I knew a guy that ended up becoming a pastor whose uh, mom, was a uh, uh, was a lesbian and was also with a, his wife, her wife, so it was very confusing for this guy. It took him till 35 years old to kind of figure himself out. Still loves mom and his both moms, whatever the relationship was. But at the same time, he took uh, uh, figured out a way to figure himself out. I think, uh, believe it or not, in a weird way, if I was a pastor today, our church would be jam packed. Mm. We would have so many people today because, <laughs> man, I don't think churches know how to tell their stories very well. Uh, uh, forget about, this is not even a conversation about Jesus, God, Catholicism, Christianity, seven-day Jehovah's, you know, LDS. I'm not doing the debate part. That's another discussion if we want to have that kind of a debate. That's not for here. I, I, I'm, I would rather have my kids go to a Jewish private school than go to a public school. Mm. Because at least the Jewish private school is going to teach certain Basic values and principles. I'm okay if my kids go to a Catholic church. I'm okay if my Catholic school, because I just want some kind of values and principles to be taught. And I think for kids today, when they're alone and we're not around, because we're not going to be around them all the time, they need to believe that someone, some spirit is with them, that they're not alone. I think they need that today. Because it's a lot of pressure today that parents cannot be you know, omnipresent in all these other places. You can't. Your kids are with somebody else for 10 hours out of the day. You're going to come home. You got two hours with your kids per night. Then you got the weekend. You don't have that many hours with your kids. So I think parents are going to need help. I would suggest parents to plug into a church uh, as quickly as possible. Find a pastor you like, an environment you like. And I'm not even pitching denomination. Just go to a place. If you're Jewish, go practice it. If you're Christian, go. If you're Catholic, go practice it because your kids are going to benefit from it long term. Um, in regards to uh, men being men, I, I think parents have to realize whoever you present as a hero, your kids will duplicate and go after. So if you present 
somebody who is constantly a victim. Oh my God, life is hard as a hero. Your kid's going to aspire to be a victim because that's how your kid gets attention. If the way your kid gets attention is by being sick and you always go to them and you baby them all the time, when that kid gets older, that's how they're going to get your attention because they're sick because they're going to get babied by you. I think we need to let people fail a little bit. I think we need to let kids go through a little bit of challenge in times. I think putting kids in sports with a coach that's pushing the kids, sports is very important. Somebody kicking their butt is very important. I think boys uh, having strong men around them, if a single mother is raising their kids, figure out a way to have that uncle that's tough to be around. Figure out a way to have your brother, you know, whoever it is to, to uh, be around those guys. Because if you don't, some people are going to be lost. There's no saving them. It's over. For everybody else, we want to make movies where the hero is going to be the capitalist, the hero is going to be a strong man, man's man that is in someone's life and what happens when a real man is in someone's life and how that builds their character. Hollywood's, your movies are going to matter. Your videos are going to matter. Content's going to matter. Books we write are going to matter. Right now, you know, Penguin owns this company called WhoHQ. My kids read WhoHQ books. We probably bought five, 600 WhoHQ books and they're good books. But in there, you will subtly see messaging from the left that's in the WhoHQ. Mm. I think there needs to be a competitor to that. I think there needs to be a competitor to content. This is a very big task. This is not easy. Yeah. It's almost as if the people that these subjects matter to the most need to hold a one-week retreat at a place where they come together and they say, okay, listen, we need $100 billion. How much are you putting to put in of your money? Look, I don't have a, a $10 billion to put in, but I put in $10 bucks. I'll put in a million bucks. My influence is more from the mic that I have. I'll put $100 bucks. Hey, I'm going to bring my father. Which one do you want to take? I'm going to go into the movie set. How about yourself? I'm going to go start a university. What are you going to do? I think there needs to be mm. that kind of a meeting being held because it's, and, and by the way, I wouldn't be surprised if that meeting is going to be held in the next two or three years where they're going to be talking about these types of things. But I think the money people, the influential people need to come together, stand up, be unified, not be afraid, and uh, go put their money where their mouth is and kind of get to work. But because if they don't do that, mm -hmm. the other side is very united when it comes down to this topic. So we need some of our power players to come together and uh, get to work because this is a real issue that needs the right attention. Oh, I'd absolutely invest. You're simply just investing <laughs> in the future of humanity. Yeah. Um, but no, I think you're right. And I think the older I get, the more I um, appreciate the value of religion and the importance of it. Um, but I'm going to leave it there. I want to thank you so much for coming on. It's been such a pleasure learning from you. I think you offer so much value. Um, so just really briefly, where can people find Valuetainment um, if they, they want to come follow? Oh, they can find, can find it on YouTube. They can find it all over the place. I will say this. We just launched a new app called Minex where on Minek, the reason why I launched this app Minek is because uh, years ago, a lawyer, I had a seven-minute call with a lawyer, and he charged me 30 minutes for a seven-minute call. I didn't like it. I called him. I said, we only had a seven-minute call. And he said, well, seven-minute rolls up to 30. I said, no, it yeah. doesn't. So I asked the lawyer, I said, what do you worth per minute? He says, no lawyer pays by the minute. I said, I'm going to launch an app called Minek that you get to connect by the minute, Minect. and you pay by the minute, hence Minek. So if you want to have a FaceTime with Andrew Tate for 15 minutes, you can buy it. Matter of fact, one of our guys had a 15-minute FaceTime with Andrew Tate, put it on YouTube, got a half a million views. Another guy put it on TikTok, got 3 million views. You can have a conversation with bodybuilders, business people, lawyers, you know, uh, people who are raising funds. 
So Minect would be the app I would drive to with today's uh, uh, podcast, and that's M-I-N-N-E-C-T. You can go to Minect.com and download the app. All right, I'm going to download Minect straight after this you conversation. Sh- you ought to get on Minect because I'm, I'm sure it. people want to talk to you as well. I will do. Thank you so much, Patrick. Absolutely. Thanks for pleasure. having me. Was, this was great. Absolutely. Guys, thank you so much for um, watching. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to hit the like button and subscribe, and we'll see you all next week.